Welcome to the Lake Magway, where we spend some time with our people who make Lake Macquarie a great place to live and work. Today at Lake Mac Council, we're going to find out a little more about Joel Brockman, who's an employee at Lake Mac Council. Hello. Hello, Craig. How are you? Not too bad. Are you nervous? Yes, I'm nervous. <laughs> Can you hear the change in my voice? No, I can't actually. You'll be fine. <laughs> now, let's start with Lake Mac Council and then before we find out about you and yep. more about you, how long have you worked there? Um, I've been at council for five years now. Mm-hmm. Yep. I started off well, yeah, four years ago. I was employed as the business assistant for City Project, making sure that the team... Yeah, just really running all the business admin side of it. So I did that for four years and a great opportunity came up in the Capital Works team and I applied for that and have been doing that for the last year. Do you think you know a lot of people like Mac Council? Do you, you know, you know a bit about them, your outside work, or do you just basically know what they do on the job? Yeah, actually, I feel like there's a lot of people that I do know a lot about, but I think my nature is quite a people person nature, so... I do spend the time to get to know people more than just what they do for a job. I I do love where I work and I and I love the people I work with. Um, and I've worked with a lot of really interesting people, like when I was in City Projects, a lot of engineers. And they're sometimes the hardest people to get information out of. But um, I always had a really good rapport with them and I spent the time to get to know them. And I feel like that got the best out of them as people. And even when I look at, you know, um, you know our people in leadership, I get on really well with all our directors and managers as well. And I think that's because, you know, that's that's my nature is to get to know them and, you know, sit in the lunchroom and have those discussions and not be afraid to talk to people. Can you think of something, one thing straight away about you that no one else at the council would know? Probably that I've had like quite a tough, robust life. I've had to I've had to come overcome some really big challenges. I've had to learn to walk again. I've had to learn to ride again. I've been a cancer survivor, and I lost my mum at a really young age. They're big things. Big They're big things. Yeah. All right, let's start with mum. You lost her at a young age. Yeah. What What was the story there? Uh, my mum was killed in quite a um, horrific car accident. She was on her way to go get dog food. And we lived in a small country town in New Zealand and they didn't have a lot of the railway crossings. So she went to get the dog food and they were stuck over the railway track um, and she was killed on impact. Yeah, so that was quite significant. Um, So how old were you then? I would have been 11. Do you immediately, while we're talking about that, do you flash back to that time straight away and know how you felt as an 11-year-old? Yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing because I do automatically go back to that and I remember... My mum was missing for quite a while and I automatically knew she was dead before we were told because she was gone so long. Yeah, and it was quite late into the evening once someone turned up at our house and I was with my little sister. But I automatically knew she'd gone. Mm. Um, so I do, I do go back there quite easily. Have you had to do a lot of work on yourself to heal, to accept, to process the grief from that time? Um, I guess in some ways, yes. Um, I don't think any death is easy at any age, but um, I've just got on with life. I've always been someone where if something's tough or hard, I've just got on with it. And I think that comes from the resilience of my grandmother and my mum. They were both loving but tough people, and when things were tough, 
like you just got on with it and yeah I mean I'm sure as as an adult at one point there was times where I've reflected back but yeah generally I just carry on. So what happened to the family? You're 11 years old Uh, you don't have a mum anymore so what happens to the family unit? Yeah um, so my sister and I we were really lucky my auntie and uncle, my mum's brother, um, they decided automatically that they wanted to take my sister and I on. My older sister was 18 at the time and living out of home and she didn't want to relocate, so yeah, moving um, quite far away. So that was a massive change and also a different lifestyle. I'd come from a, living in a small country town uh, in New Zealand, moving to the big smoke, Auckland, and so there were so many changes, you know, like just, I guess, from not just from cultural, but you know, so many cars, um, and then the different way that you've been brought up as well, you know, different rules and, yeah, a lot more, I guess, not strict, but they they were just different parenting. And then also dealing with the fact that you've lost your mum and your sister, you know, because my, my big sister didn't want to come with us. So, you know, it was really big changes. Gee, they are big changes. <laughs> so your big sister, who you, you're no longer living with or having a relationship with, what, what's that like when you two now? My older sister and I, we're, we're pretty close now. We're worlds apart, but, you know, we, we speak as, as often as we can. And, yeah, like, she, she's a beautiful person, um, and she's had lots of struggles along the way. But, yeah, we, we're definitely close, yeah. You mentioned some other big challenges as well, and that is you had to learn how to walk again. Yeah, had to learn how to write again. Yeah. So what's your story there? Why did yeah. that happen? So... My husband and I had been in Australia for, I think, not even a year or maybe a year and a half. And I started getting, I started getting sick and we weren't too sure what was wrong or my muscles were getting tight. And I actually thought it was from me dancing on a table on Anzac Day um, and that I was wearing amazing high heels and that they'd mm-hmm. affected my legs. But Well, who doesn't dance <laughs> on, a, on a table in high heels on Anzac Day? That's yeah. not uncommon. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so it sort of went on for a few weeks and I went, you know, went and had some physio and, and then my, um, I started to get tightness in my arms as well. And so I went to the GP and explained to the GP what was happening and did some testing and it came back that I had a high rheumatoid and straight away they thought I had Ross River virus and sort of started to treat me for that. But I started to get worse and, you know, a lot of other symptoms along the way. And then I asked for a second, sort of got, went and got a second opinion and went to another GP. And this GP automatically thought I had rheumatoid arthritis. And then that day he booked me in with a colleague of his because he was quite concerned about what was happening. I automatically went and saw this rheumatoid doctor and he said, you know, looking at all the results, that's what they thought I had. And I was 29 at the time, so very young to have rheumatoid. And he started putting me on prednisone, and little did nobody know at the time I was allergic to prednisone. But it took a long time for that to for that to be known. So I just, you know, went home and started on this challenge of thinking I was going to have rheumatoid arthritis, and I started getting sicker from the medication, and to the point where I had a seizure at work, and you know, was sent home. That well, the ambulance came and sent home that day, and my husband sort of had to watch me because I you know, obviously hit my head and had a bit of concussion. And then that night when we went to go to bed, you know, he went to go get me a glass of water. I think I said I wasn't feeling very well. And he came back and found me on the ground having a pretty big seizure uh, and automatically, you know, called the ambulance. And I was taken in, taken into hospital. And then I stayed for the next six months. 
I was misdiagnosed, I think, three times. And once they finally realised what was wrong with me, I had a rare autoimmune disease, which was called cryogobianemia. But by the time they'd sort of diagnosed what was going on with me, I'd had heart failure, kidney failure and liver failure. So I was pretty sick. But the whole time I was in there, I believed, you know, I was going to beat it. I gave the doctors what for. I would swear at the doctors. I would ask them, why were they giving me this tablet? I kept them on their toes uh, 100%. Yeah, and I, I really, I knew that I was dying. I really was. I was getting pretty ill. But... I wasn't, I was not going to let it beat me. And yeah, I just remember one day being really, really sick and saying, you know, if there's a God, please take me. I've had enough. And then as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I was like, can I swear? I was like, you fucking idiot. What are you doing? You, that is not what's going to happen. And I, yeah, that was only one moment I felt like that. And I made sure that I bet it. And when I, I had to be induced for a week for, into a coma, And while I was in that coma, apparently, you know, you're meant to rest. But every time a nurse or doctor came in and spoke to me and pronounced my name incorrectly, I was trying to sit up and I was trying to pull the tubes out. And um, and I think that's my resilience of letting them know, hey, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. And when I came out of that coma, I did struggle. I didn't realise at the time that it created anxiety for me, which I've now had to live with on and off since. But the, the toughest thing was is I lost full use of my both, both my legs, my left and my right leg. I had no feeling up to my thighs and my left hand completely disabled. And they said for the rest of my life I'd be a permanent disabled and that I would never walk again without a walking aid or get use of my left hand. And I'm left-handed. And I said to my doctor at the time, one day I'm going to walk in here giving you the bird wearing a pair of killer high heels. And I did it two years later. That's extraordinary. And everyone has a story, and boy, haven't you got one there. How many people at Lake Mac Council would know that story? I think there's a few people. I actually, how this came about, they've now been interviewed um, through COVID in the asset department. People were, each week, they would, would, it's called a weekly wrap-up, and people would write a little story, a little bit about themselves. And I knew that a lot of people were struggling at the time, so I wrote a little brief story because I just wanted people to know that no matter what's going on, you can, you know, you can get through stuff, you know, like as tough as life is, you know, there's going to be challenges and you can always get through it. So I gave a little condensed story and my director then forwarded on, I think, to Morven and said, I think Joe would be a great candidate for this. (laughs) You are a great candidate for this already. We've only just started. It's it's an incredible story. Take me back to that hospital situation. You you thought you were going to die. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I only for a brief second. I'd I could I couldn't breathe. I think I weighed thirty two kilos. I um, I, you couldn't drink anything like because my I had kidney failure. So. Uh, I was, you're constantly thirsty. I've never felt anything like it. You don't, you don't, I didn't want to live because of how excruciating the day-to-day, just getting through the trying to breathe and all of that. And you could feel my body was flooded with fluids and that's because of my kidneys had shut down. Yeah, but that was a brief moment, you know. Through that whole time when I was in, at my sickest, 
there was only that one moment. But the rest of the time when I was trying to breathe, I was fighting and determined and still giving the hospital what for at every opportunity. Joel Brockman is talking to me today. You must have gained a great deal out of all of these experiences in terms of what life delivers you next. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I've been asked that a few times by different friends that did I have a different outlook on life when I was sick? And I think, I don't think it changed my outlook. I always, I've always known that life is short and you've got to make the most of every day. I guess what did change for me is that it did slow me down a bit for a while and just make me, you know, really stop to you smell the roses as such. But as far as thinking, you know, like that life, that big life change, I was just so determined to, to prove everyone wrong, prove the hospital, prove that, you know, prove the doctors that that was not going to stop me. That I think for two, those two years afterwards, I didn't actually really acknowledge what had happened. And then when I finally did, I ended up with quite severe anxiety. And I, nobody knew, you know, I think anxiety is one of those things that are really well hidden because people think on the outside you can see it. And I used to lock myself in meeting rooms for 90 minutes thinking I was going to have to go in and speak or um, do these things. But Where were you working at this stage? Uh, I was working at GHD in town and... Yeah, nobody, nobody knew. Nobody knew what was happening. Um, it was all, you know, I thought people could see it, but no one could see it. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I had to mentally tell myself that it's going to be okay every single day. Like, it's, this is, you know, it's just another day at work. Nobody can see that you feel this. You know, you've never been able to not talk before. Because I think the big thing, what anxiety did for me, it took away my normal confidence, my everyday ability just to be who I was. Mm. Um, and that's what that was the biggest impact for me from being sick. How long ago was that? It was in 2009. And how long did you stay in that job from that point on when you you basically crippled up with anxiety by, by yeah. this stage? Uh, I stayed at GHD for four years. Yeah, four years. And uh, I loved every minute of it. It was so fast-paced. And I think by... By the fact of this anxiety and the my determination just to keep working through it and you know talking to myself whether it be in the toilet telling myself you know you're okay you can get through this and uh doing some self meditation and you know laughing at myself and drinking rescue remedy i could go off and do these meetings and, mm. and just carry on mm. yeah joel you were telling me you had cancer when you were a child how old were you um i would have been seven years of age what type of cancer um, I had osteoblastoma, so I had a tumour um, on my spine, probably the size of a large 50-cent coin. Uh, it was eating away all my nerves. So what it was doing was it was starting to make me, when I'd go to stand up, my mum started to notice that I was a bit of a hunchback and that it would take me a while to actually stand. And I'd keep mentioning that I'd have a sort of tingling in, you know, in my legs. Yeah, so she took me to the doctor a few times and I think, they, once again, I was misdiagnosed a bit. Um, and they, I think the teacher th said, oh, no, not the teacher, the doctor, sorry, said, you know, watch her. Is it, you know, is there something going on at home? Is she, you know, is it um, her just playing up or, you know, a bit of a hypochondriac? And my mum thought, you know, this is ridiculous and got, got in a second opinion. And we lived in like a small country town, so we had to drive into the city and stuff. Yeah, and I was diagnosed with um, a tumour. Did that require surgery? Yeah, so I was sent from I was sent up to the Big Smoke in um, Auckland. Um, I think I was in hospital a few months, and they did a biopsy and then removed the tumour. 
I was quite lucky. It was it was benign, so I didn't have to have radiation or chemotherapy or anything like that. But I had to start again with walking, <laughs> so it's my second time needing to walk again. But yeah, I think I was I think I was in hospital all up a couple of months. And you remember that pretty vividly too, even though you're under ten. Yeah, I do. But I think the most significant thing I remember is the time that I had with my mum. It was, you know, it was really, really special. She was there every day, all day. And obviously she was scared, but she never showed it. And, you know, just the love that I felt from her. And I built some really great relationships with, with the staff. You know, they were such amazing staff. And I'll never forget that as a child how friendly the nurses were, and just the love that they showed towards children. Um, and they never looked at you like you were sick, you know. And it was obviously quite a significant, you know, thing to have. They weren't too sure whether I'd walk again and how much damage the tumour had done to my, my nerves, yeah. You were telling me before that you've been with your husband mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. How did this play out with him and with your relationship because he's obviously with you at this stage. Yeah, Glenn is amazing. And, you know, he, I guess the whole time I was sick, he was there every day. I mean, he worked, but he never left my side. Between him and the most amazing in-laws I could ever ask for, um, I had an amazing support network. I also had one of my best friends relocate and live here to look after my husband and also to be with me. But, yeah, Glenn is, he's obviously suffered as much as I have because he's had to be that person, watch me go through this. But, um, yeah, he's also become very strong through it. And, yeah, we're still together and have an amazing life, you know, mm. and do everything together. So I'm really mm. lucky. For people who do know your story and the experiences you've had in your life, do they come to you and, and ask you for advice when they're doing it tough? Yeah, funny enough, I've always been, um, I've been giving people advice, I think, since I was probably 11 years of age. <laughs> um, I've probably always been a little bit older than what I am growing up. And I think from the experiences of what I had as a child, and um, I was always told, you know, like it was an old soul or an old wise lady. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I definitely have been that person. I love to help people. I love to see, you know, I love mentoring. I love to get the best out of people. Do you think you could do something like that, extend that role? or go into that type of role in the future, does that interest you or would you rather just do that for whoever needs it, whoever asks you, and not on a professional level, I suppose? Yeah, um, I guess I, I've, I'm already doing it in some, it's to some extent. Um, there's a few people at council that um, I mentor. and Officially? No, not officially. And, you know, whether they've been, um, you know, trainees or um, people in different roles. But I do have other friends around as well that I've mentored along the way. So to answer your question, yeah, I would. Um, I do love it, but I don't know if it's something I'd want to do professionally. I think it's maybe just a natural thing, ability of mine that just comes out with meeting people. What have you learned about yourself so far? That I'm resilient. Yeah, you can throw anything at me and um, I feel like I can get through it. Yeah. Has it helped you in your job? Yeah, definitely. Because I love a challenge. I love... I love every day to be different and I think, yeah, definitely with everything that's happened, that's led me to where I am today. Mm. To have a good workplace culture, you want to feel good about where you are. And what I love about, I guess, council the most is that people love working there. They enjoy their jobs. They love 
you know, and I think they love the people that they work with and, you know, it's the ability to go and have a chat and have a laugh, but then everyone just tuck in and do their job. And I think the support that you get from your colleagues as well, um, well, that's what I feel anyway. How do you achieve good work culture? I think by being a good leader. I think by, you know, de demonstrating from the top down. To me, that's what shows a good culture anywhere. Or, or even, you know, like out with your friends, if you're... If you're putting that out, that's what you get back. What are you doing now? What are your hobbies? What do you do away from work? I think for people who know me, I'm a fanatic netball player. Like I love, um, I love gardening. I love sewing. I love going to the beach. I love my dogs, especially, and travel. Travel is a passion of mine and my husband's. We're looking forward to being able to get back on the road and travel again. That's a full life. You love travel. Where have you travelled to so far? Okay, so I lived in London for seven years. Uh, while living in London, I travelled most of Europe. I've been to Jamaica, I've been to America, I've been to Thailand, um, we've been to Vietnam, I've been to Laos, New Zealand, of course, multiple times. I made most of the Spanish islands, Morocco, Egypt, Turkey. It's more of a where have I not, where have I not been travelled. What's been the greatest gift for you in travelling to so many different places? Oh, I just love the culture. I love, I love meeting, uh, especially going to somewhere like Morocco or Turkey and being immersed in the culture and, you know, trying to communicate with people and you don't even speak the same language, but, you know, you both understand what each other's saying by using your hands or your eyes and, you know, just really immersing yourself and trying to feel a part of what's going on and stopping and smelling, you know, the air or the dirt, you know, for me, that's, that's the key to travel. You've named a, a fair few places that you've already been. Any on the, the hit list now that where would you like to go? South America. That's the next thing for me. I'd like to do three to six months if possible. Three months probably is, is yeah, the top thing, but, and Antarctica. That's a dream of mine and my husband's doing a cruise route to Antarctica. What's got you interested in that? Anything specific? I think being able to see the raw beauty while you can. It's not going to be there forever. I mean, it's already melting. But, yeah, I think being able to see, just see all those icebergs and be immersed in that and the cold. I love the cold. I mean, that's going to be freezing. But, mm. yeah, I think just being able to get there and do it. You said it's already melting. Does the whole climate change thing concern you in terms of, you know, your awareness of it? You think we're, are we stuffing it up? Yeah, we definitely are. I mean, you know, we all can try your best to not have that input or that imprint. But I think the world is, I mean, the world is very resilient. It has gone through melting before and, um, you know, the fires and stuff. But um, what's happening at the moment, I think, yeah, it's significant. And I don't think we will get those things back. You know, the animals that are that are dying and, you know, they're not, they're not something that's... We're, that, our children, I guess, or people's children will ever get to see again, and, and that's scary. Joel Brockman is talking to me today. Make yourself Prime Minister for the day. What are you going to do? I'd love to take over the world. <laughs> what would I do? I think I'd make everyone have, I don't know, just stop and I'd make, maybe just stop for a moment. Make the world stop and feel love. Try and change the way the politicians think, maybe. Think outside the box. Think about the people, not just about the money. Maybe think about what's happening in the world. Um, and I'm sure they do those things, but, yeah, I feel like there needs to be more love. Mm. And maybe that needs to come from them. We've all had to live through COVID. Have there been any pluses to come out of COVID? 
yeah, I've had to learn how to work differently, differently and adapt, but I've loved the time. Um, you know, I think a lot of people like myself have had a lot of time to reflect just, you know, and stay at home, spend lots of time with, you know, my loved one. And I think those those are the good things that have come out of it. And I think for a lot of families that might be the same. The only thing that's been really hard for me is not being able to get to my family in New Zealand. But yeah, spending time here with my husband's been great. I haven't <laughs> killed him. <laughs> Your other work colleagues at Lake Mac Council that many are going to be listening to this at some stage. How do you think a lot of them are going to react when they find out about your backstory? I guess that's what I've worried about the most about this, is I don't want anyone to think of me any different. Yeah, I just, I am who I am because of the things that have happened, and I think that's really important. And I think it's good for people just to maybe see that maybe the reason I am the bubbly and outgoing person is because of those life things that have happened. And that I do, yeah, you just gotta push through, I think. You think you might have done a big commercial now for more members of staff to come forward and say, hey, Joel, I've had a tough time too and no one else knows here, and, yeah. but I now know I can talk to you. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that for anyone who's doing it tough or has had a tough time that they do feel they could talk to me. And I hope that, and I think most people at Lake Mac can see that anyway, but definitely I would love for anyone who's having it, doing it tough or feeling... They've, you know, life is hard. I'm always there for them to talk to. What's the secret to life? You mentioned love before. Is that it in a nutshell or is there something else? Some other great philosophy that you would share? Yeah, I always think, you know, tomorrow's another day. Whatever happens today, tomorrow's another day. You know, love yourself is key. You have to love yourself no matter what. Love everybody else around you. And I, and I just think, you know, like, you know, live your best life. You've got to live every day like it's your last, and that's what I try and do. It's been great to talk to you today. Thanks for the chat. Thank you, Craig. Lovely to meet you. The Lake Mag is produced by Lake Macquarie City Council.